Welcome to this message from Alpha and Omega Christian Fellowship. We hope that you'll be blessed and encouraged by what we have to share. I want to do a very brief recap on what I shared with you last week. We were talking about fasting waiting on God and separating ourselves in the secret place. And I said to you there were some things that I just didn't get to share with you last week that I want to share with you this week because I think they're important. Before we jump into them, let's just take a moment. Father, thank you, Lord God, for your word to us that guides us, that coaches us. Thank you for the principles contained in your word. And Lord, that when we gain insight and understanding into them and apply them and walk in them, We eat the fruit of your wisdom and of your goodness and of your kindness. Father, we want to thank you for the principle and the spiritual discipline of fasting. Thank you that it is not a burden to us, but that you have given it as a gift to us. Help us to see it that way, to understand the purpose of fasting, that we may eat and enjoy the benefits of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yes, an unintentional play of words, eating the benefits of fasting. I don't quite understand how we do that. Reap. Maybe that's the better way to go. Are you with me this morning? All right, I'll tell you, I can see you there, but I I can see you there, but I don't know if you're all there. I'm here, but I'm not all there sometimes. Hey, all right, let me just briefly recap on some of the points that I made last week. The experience that we perpetually accept So your life experience, the circumstances that you find yourself in, what you see around you as your norm, as your status quo, that experience that you perpetually accept is the evidence or the fruit of what you truly believe. You see, you are responsible for that which you accept. Whatever you accept in your life, the good or the bad, if you accept that, you are responsible for that situation. And what you accept in your life will reveal to you what it is that you truly believe. I often teach young people that when they feel like they're being taken advantage of in a situation or they, they're not sure how to, uh, they, they don't feel like they're getting what is right or they're being taken advantage of, there's this wonderful two words that are incredibly powerful and it enables you to disagree with somebody, it enables you to demand more of somebody um, without being horrible or rude or mean or unkind, without being forceful or arrogant. And these are the two very simple words. You may want to write them down. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable. When you have somebody in the shop who's giving you lousy service and they're trying to brush you off, you don't have to get all uptight and upset with them. You just simply say these two words. I'm sorry, but that's unacceptable. I remember years ago, Nicola had just gotten a new car, and she was driving in her new car, and, uh, and, and, and the gearbox failed while she was driving. And the car manufacturer basically said, no, no, it's not our responsibility now. You know, the car's only two weeks old, but it's not our responsibility. I said, listen, just go with these two words. Just run with that. That's unacceptable. And I came back to her with a no, no, that's unacceptable. Anything less than you fixing this problem and sorting this out on this brand new car that I've just spent a fortune on will be unacceptable. I will not accept anything less. 
I've seen it over and over in my life again. Sometimes you have to be patient with this. But dogged persistence and not accepting that which is less than what you know to be right is a very powerful tool in life. Now, I want to say to you that in our lives, in our spiritual journey with God, in our family experience, in our workplace experience, we are guilty of accepting far, far, far less than what God has promised us. But yet, what we consistently accept is what we ultimately are. We are responsible, let me rather put it that way, for what we consistently accept. And sometimes we need to look at ourselves and go, Michael, that habit, that's unacceptable. You can't accept that anymore because that habit is way below what God expects from you. Or what you're seeing in this area of your life, that's unacceptable. It may be your fault, it may not be your fault. But if you just accept everything that comes at you, you live a life as a victim. Somebody asks somebody, how are you doing? Well, under the circumstances, I'm doing okay. Well, God hasn't called us to live under the circumstances. He's called us to change the circumstances. Now, this principle reveals where we're at. It reveals what we accept, but it doesn't actually bring about change. In order to change what's going on around us, in order to change our experience, what do we have to change? We have to change what's going on within us. We have to change what's going on within us. We have to move from unbelief to faith. What is unbelief? Unbelief is simply failure to take God at His word. That is, that is as, as simply as I can define what unbelief is. Not taking God as His word. Accepting something else, either as a substitute or believing that's, that it's actually this way and, and maybe God had it wrong or maybe that doesn't apply anymore. We spoke last week about the, the nation of Israel who came out of Egypt and God delivered them with these wonderful miracles and signs and wonders. And yet all of them except two perished in the wilderness because apart from Joshua and Caleb, all of them floundered in their faith. Because of their unbelief, they did not enter into the promised land. But Numbers 14, 24 said of them that they had a different spirit. They had the spirit of faith. We spoke last week about dealing with unbelief, and that's the whole, that's the real nuts and bolts purpose of fasting. We looked at uh, an instance in Matthew chapter 17 where the disciples came to Jesus and they had a problem because, oh sorry, not disciples, but a man came to Jesus who had a problem. He said, I brought my son who's, who suffers from epileptic fits to your disciples, but they could not cast out the demon. And we pick up the story in verse 19 Oh, sorry, and Jesus casts out the demon and sorts out the situation. And in verse 19, the, the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, Why could we not cast it out? And Jesus said to them, Because of your unbelief, for assuredly I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, Move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. In other words, you don't have to settle for everything that comes along your way. You can look at a situation through the eyes of God, through the eyes of faith, and say that that is unacceptable. However, Jesus said, this kind does not come out but by prayer and fasting. You see, the disciples were unprepared for this encounter. Their faith was not at the level, the required level, for dealing with this kind of problem. Now, this kind, as we discussed last week, was not this, just this kind of demon. There's not certain things you have to do for some and certain things you have to do for other. This kind 
he was talking about was that spirit of unbelief. And Jesus says it does not come out except by prayer and fasting. He gives us an incredible key there, an incredible duo that enable us to deal with the state of unbelief in our hearts. You see, because there's some situations, folks, that we're going to encounter which can only be resolved by a greater level of faith than you and I currently possess. We are where we are because of our level of faith. We have what we have because of our level of faith. Often we look at our situation and we're not happy with it. Maybe we're not happy with our income. Maybe we're not happy with our relationships. Maybe we're not happy with our health. So we stay here. We're not happy with it, but we don't change anything. Nothing happens. Why? Because we do not possess the level of faith to take ourselves to another level, deeper into the Word of God and into the reality that Jesus Christ came to make real to us. Jesus tells us that this level of faith can only come through prayer and fasting. We looked at the fact that fasting is a spiritual exercise. Just like physical exercise, fasting is a spiritual exercise. Fasting is like a weigh-in, or it's like the visit to the dietician, or the visit to your personal trainer. You measures your current state and where you're at. One of the best ways to measure your spiritual condition, to measure your level of faith, is to put yourself through a season of fasting. And you'll start learning what you're really full of and what's in there. We looked at that natural and spiritual development bear many similarities. We all physically start off weak and incapable as babies. But with the right kind of nutrition and nurturing, the right kind of exercises and resistance, we grow into self-sufficient adults. Amen? Strength only is developed that way. And I want to say to you, it's the same in the spirit. Our natural state, because we are born of Adam, is the state of unbelief. Did you get that? Now, when we get born again, the Bible says we become a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. God puts His life in us. He gives us the measure of faith. Amen? It's not by grace you have been saved. Sorry, it's not by... It is by grace that you have been saved. Through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. So God gives us a measure of faith. But just like a baby, that faith needs to grow. It needs to be exercised. Fasting and prayer is a secret and sacred place where our souls are healed, where we're re-envisioned, and where we're prepared for that which lies ahead. We closed off last week looking at Matthew chapter 6 where Jesus speaks to His disciples. He says, But you, when you pray... Go into your room, and when you've shut the door, pray for the Father who is in heaven, and the Father who is in the secret, to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees what you do in secret will reward you openly. Secret, openly. Inside, outside. He goes on to teach them how to pray the Lord's Prayer. You're familiar with that? And pick it up in verse 16 again. He says, moreover, when you fast. Jesus didn't say if you fast. He didn't say this is a conditional thing. He says, this is a spiritual discipline that you ought to walk in in your life, regular seasons of fasting. Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. 
Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you don't appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret, again, will reward you openly. And I said to you, that's why I decided not to call an official fast over the church and set days and put your name down. This is, needs to be a very personal thing between you and God. I don't know where each of you are at individually. I have a good idea of some of you. Some of you are walking in, in a level and a measure of victory. Things are going well in your life right now. It seems that you've, you've reached a place and you're finding a rhythm, and praise God for that. That's great. Others are really struggling. There's, there's relational battles happening, health battles happening, financial battles going on. And in these situations, our faith needs to be stirred to a level that we've not attained before. We cannot afford, especially when we are fighting a battle, to be, to be stuck in unbelief. Because that unbelief is our defeat. That, undefeat, that, that unbelief causes us to perish in that wilderness rather than transitioning through that wilderness. We see the same principle, praying and fasting, producing incredible grace and strength, even in Jesus' life. So Jesus, as you know, He goes to John the Baptist. He is baptized. The Spirit of the Lord descends upon Him. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the very first thing the Spirit does is lead Jesus into the wilderness for a season of fasting and prayer. We should maybe start preaching that way. Come to Jesus, and we'll put you on a fast. He will lead you into the wilderness. It doesn't preach so good. But that's the reality of Jesus' life. But what do we see after Jesus comes out? He goes into his fast. He's in the wilderness. He's tempted by the, by the devil, as you know. I don't want to go into all of that story. But we see Luke chapter 4, verse 14. After this entire encounter, Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of Him went out through the surrounding region. He returned in what? He returned in what? Power. He returned in? Power. He returned in the power of the Spirit. That which stood in front of Him now was no longer a threat. That which stood in front of him now was no, no lo- didn't put any fear into him. You see, Jesus didn't struggle with faith, and Jesus didn't grapple to overcome unbelief because he was fully convinced, first of all, of who he was as the Son of God, but also he had overcome and he had won victories in his time in the secret place that manifested themselves openly. Jesus' conviction didn't come in the comfort of his living room. This kind of power didn't come while Jesus was watching the rugby or reading a romantic novel. This kind of conviction and this power of the Spirit didn't come from an inspirational meme on Facebook. It came from a season of trial, of fasting, and of prayer. He fought a spiritual battle, and he came out on top. He dislodged the power of unbelief within him completely and continually lived a life and a journey of faith. That's why Jesus went from victory to victory to victory. That's why Jesus was not subject to the opinions of man. You see, fasting takes us a step beyond good intention. 
Remember last week we mentioned that body. Do you remember that body? Did it leave an indelible? Maybe that's probably, for some of you, that's all you remember about the sermon, was that body. Fasting takes us beyond good intentions, and it shows, it shows that we are being serious about the situation, about our spiritual development, and about what God wants for us. Not so much to God, but it shows that we're serious to ourselves and to the principalities and powers that be. Fasting adds a level of intensity and earnestness and authority to our prayers. When we set ourselves aside, when we deny ourselves those things which cause the dullness of our soul and allow God to begin working inside of us. You see, fasting is one of the best ways to sort out what's going on inside. Fasting doesn't change what's going on outside but it's one of the most powerful ways of changing what's going on inside. Why do I say that? I have learned that once we become emotionally invested in anything, it becomes very difficult to hear the voice of God concerning that particular thing. When individuals become invested emotionally in a relationship, a young lady comes, Pastor, I've met someone, wonderful, and we say, is he a believer? Well, no, but... Wow. Wow. Where did that but come from? How, how, how is this even an option? How are we even journeying down this road? And boy, how many times I've had to journey down that road. What does God say about it? Well, I prayed and, you know, maybe he can be saved along the way. Because of that strong emotional bond that's already been formed, it becomes very difficult to hear the voice of God concerning that relationship. Sometimes it's a thing. Somebody wants to buy a house or they've, they've said in their hearts that this car is for me or sometimes it's a job or a title or a position. It becomes very difficult to discern the voice of God correctly when I'm emotionally invested in something. But I want to say to you that whatever holds the affections and the interests of your heart holds you. Whether that's a person or a job and the only one who should hold you is the Lord Jesus. Amen? Fasting is one of the ways I ensure His Lordship. So I give notice to my body. I give notice to my affections. There's, a, there's someone else on the throne here. It's not you. Fasting reminds us of who God is. It requires something special of us to break those emotional holds. It requires something strong to, to break down those, those... They're called strongholds for a reason because they stand so firm, those ways of thinking. And fasting is a tool that God has given to us. And this, this, this also applies in our tough times when we're emotionally tired or we're emotionally worn out and withdrawn. And we may even wonder, God, where are you in all of this? I'm emotionally drained. I feel tired. I can't deal with what's going on around me. Folks, sometimes staring down the barrel of your own inadequacy is the very place God wants you to be. That's where you find out what you truly believe, and that's where your faith is coaxed into action by the Word of God. I want to encourage you in those times. Don't seek relief. Seek God. We see a beautiful example of this in, in Samuel where Saul, who was king, 
was oppressed and he sought relief. He just wanted a musician to come and play so that this oppression could lift off of him for a little while. All he sought was relief. All your flesh is going to be seeking is relief. I want out of this difficult situation. God, would you just send the money and meet this need and relief? Or this relational issue. I just want relief. David's heart was very different, though. Never mind what David went through. Psalm 139 gives us an idea. 23, 24. God, this is from the, the Passion Translation. God, I invite your searching gaze into my heart. Examine me through and through. Find out everything that may be hidden within me. Put me to the test and sift me through all, oh, and sift through all my anxieties and cares. See if there is any path of pain I'm walking on and lead me back to your glorious everlasting ways, the path that brings me back to you. I want to say to you, fasting doesn't always provide us with quick relief, but it certainly gives us a clear perspective and a renewed vision. It gives us the strength we need to overcome and to see and to gain God's perspective on our situation. There is nothing more valuable in this world, folks, than God's perspective of who you are, of your situation, of what you're going through. Nothing more valuable than God's perspective. Because when you see what God's perspective is, when you understand what He is up to, you can cooperate with Him. I have a wonderful analogy as, I've been, as I was meditating on this principle. Fasting is like a backstage pass to your soul. William Shakespeare, the famous world, words, all the worlds, sorry, all the, he said it a lot more eloquently than I did. All the world's a stage, all the men and women merely players. And he wrote a long poem about that. Think with me of a stage production. Imagine you're sitting in a theater and this beautiful musical production is going on in front of you. You're enamored and you're captivated by what's taking, taking place on the stage. Perhaps it's a ballet and you are in awe at the beauty of these moves and the, the grace and the choreography. It's amazing. Captivated by what you see in front of you. Absorbed in the emotion of the moment. But you also have a realization that behind the scenes, there's a lot going on. There on that night, people changing, sets changing, things happening, and not just on the night, but for months and months before. But as you sit there and as you look at this stage and what is going on, though you're aware that there are things going on behind the scenes, you have no idea exactly what it is. You don't know who raised funds for this. You don't know who promoted it. You don't know who the director is. Maybe you know who it is. You don't know how things went down. There's a cast. There's a plot. There's set designers. There's managers. There's financiers. There's costume designers, choreographers. There's musicians involved. There's directors involved. There's cleaners involved. There's stagehands involved. And the list goes on and on and on. If the production was the king and I, I'd be saying, and etc., etc., etc. Those of you with culture would enjoy that. Fasting is like a backstage pass to your life and to what's going on in your soul. You see the production that you see played out in front of you every day. Who's, who's the author of that script? And when you take time to fast, it's like you get a copy 
of the devilish director's script. That script and understanding what goes on behind the scenes completely disengages you from the glitz and the glamour, from the bright lights and the glamorous, gorgeous costumes, from the smoke and from the mirrors and from the carefully crafted facades that life puts on show for you every single day. You see, when you watch the play, you're captivated by it. When you're on the crew, it's a different story. It enables you to understand the plots and the deceptions, the, the transitions and the tricks, so that you do not have to live your life as a captivated observer. Once you have the backstage pass, once you can read the script, you can begin to carve out a character and a role for yourself within the production. All of this happens. All that goes into making this production take place does not happen in front of the cameras. It doesn't happen in front of the audience. It happens behind the scenes. It happens in the secret place. That's where everything that takes place, everything that matters, everything that feeds into that production takes place. And when you understand your role, when you understand your part, you can play it with boldness and confidence. When I fast, I take myself out of that situation where I'm so engaged with everything that's going on around me, and I begin to take a gaze into the backstage rooms of my heart and understand what's going on in there. Where are my thoughts truly coming from? How am I formulating them? How am I being led by the Word and the Spirit of God? if at all. Let me close out by giving you part of the plot that God's already revealed to us as a spiritual fellowship. God is building a safe house. Do you remember that word, that prophetic word over our fellowship? God is building a safe house, a place in which people can come and be healed and be nurtured and equipped and ultimately released into the call and destiny that God has on their lives. And how is a house built, especially in our context? It is built brick by brick. Each individual brick has its place. It needs to be set in place. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 4 and 5 says, Coming to Him as to a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious, you also, say me too, even me, you also, as precious living stones are being built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Within the spiritual family, God is building a safe house, and He has a place for you within that vision, within that plot, within the production, whichever analogy you'd like to, to go with. But every stone, though it has a place, needs to be the right stone, prepared properly for the right task. I want to say to you that what you are going through right now is the process that God is using to chisel you and chisel your heart and chisel your life to fit the place that He has prepared for you. And where does God do that? He does that in the secret place. In the book of 1 Kings, when Solomon set to building the temple, 
He said, that temple place is not a place where we chisel stones. It's holy. It's a holy ground. The stones were chiseled back out in the quarry. 1 Kings 6 verse 7 says, And the temple, when it was being built, was built with stone finished at the quarry, so that no hammer or chisel or any iron tool was heard in the temple while it was being built. In the secret place, God does His work so that He can then fit you into the right place. And if that, that, that stone came and was ready to be placed and it didn't quite fit properly, it wasn't just a quick fix. It went back again to the quarry. Notes were made on the stone, the markings were made, it would be chiseled down again and then brought back. Sometimes, folks, we think we're ready for situations and we come to present ourselves to situations. God has to take us back again to that secret place of fasting, that secret place of prayer where He can chisel off a little bit more, where He can change the shape here. Don't resist that place because the rock that resists will ultimately be thrown away. It will be no use, no good for the purpose for which it is intended. I want to say to you this morning, remember, your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. I encourage you, as I've given you some teaching on fasting, as I've helped you to understand the dynamic of what ought to go on in a time or a season of fasting, way beyond just the abstinence of food, the internal work that God is trying to do. I encourage you, put yourself in the secret place. Set yourself aside. Take leave if you have to. doesn't matter if it's your birthday. Hey, Carmen. See what God will say to you. I'm confident you will be amazed. You will be amazed at the transformation that God can and bring in your life, in your heart, in your attitude, in your way of thinking, which will result in the change you really desire to see on the outside. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me, please? I'd like us to close off our service this morning with a, with a prayer and also a song. Which apparently I'm singing solo. Are you coming? <laughs> Need some help here, please. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you this morning for this wonderful discipline and gift that you've given us. To be able to fast, to be able to set aside and set ourselves aside from the natural things which hold our lives so captive or that we're so captivated by, the natural things which just seem like natural rhythms that we can begin to enter into and to lay hold of spiritual rhythms, the rhythms of your grace, the rhythms of your heartbeat. I want to pray for every member of our fellowship and our spiritual family. And I want to ask you, Heavenly Father, for grace. Grace in drawing us and wooing us into your heart. Grace as we separate ourselves from that which brings comfort to our flesh. Grace to be able to hear and discern your voice concerning the myriad of anxieties or worries or cares that assail our hearts and minds. Grace to lay hold of the truth of your word and of your perspective that we may walk in it. Father, I want to pray for deep work in the secret place that begins to manifest outwardly as you work in our hearts. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. 
We hope that you've enjoyed this message. For additional resources and more information, come and visit us at alphaomega.org.za.